I want you to give a warm welcome to my beautiful wife of 35 years, Miss Meliana. Give her a hand as she comes. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Are you excited? You're in God's house tonight? I am so grateful because we took that red-eye flight. We had a meeting yesterday morning in Hawaii, and right after that, we pack our luggage ahead to the airport. And I tell you what, I am so glad I made it here because we had a delay somewhere, and then we made it here, went straight to bed. So I'm ready to go. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all lift up our hand again one more time. Let's acknowledge his presence here. Holy Spirit, we want to take a moment. We want to say thank you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that you allow us to be here. It does not matter where we at. If your presence is not there, it means nothing, oh God. But wherever your presence is at, there is life. And we want to say thank you how you have put a desire, place a desire in our heart. Some of us drove here. Some of us oh God, came here with one desire to hear from you and to receive from you. But before that, we want to acknowledge you. We want you to know that you are so welcome in this place. You, you come and have your way, Lord. We came here tonight with an open heart, open mind, open ear to hear from you and to receive from you. We thank you, Father. We felt your presence in this place. We felt your love. We felt your peace. We felt your joy. And we want to say thank you. You are so beautiful in this place. We love you. We adore you. And we worship you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we want to give you ahead of time all the glory and honor to glorify your name. We want to say thank you, Father, for what you're going to do tonight and the next few days, oh God. Not only this weekend, but to continue on. And we thank you, Father. We love you. We bless you. And we worship you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank Thank you, Father. Let's give Jesus a big hand clap. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Again, it's such a joy, such a privilege for us to be here tonight. And I can't wait for his word. And I just want to remind you guys that we have some resources back in a foyer. We have his first book. I'm not sure if last time we were here we had it. But we ran out of a uh, uh, print. I mean, his, his first book ran out of it. And then uh, first print, so what we did, we opened our own publishing company because we wanted to reprint this book. And what we have done, we revised it. So there is 60 more pages on this book. I know some of you already got this book. This is a, a book from A Song of Solomon because our desire is to help people get to know him intimately. Amen? Because when we know him intimately, we get to hear his voice clear. It empower us. It strengthen us. It help us to know what God have called us to do. It will propel us to do everything that God have called us to do. So I have a few back there if you want to. We were sold out in Hawaii. I felt so bad 
but then I'm so glad they sent one. It was only one box, so I don't have enough. So I have a few back there. We'll make sure that you stop by and uh, see if you can get one. But this is the one I want to talk to you about tonight, how to develop a prophetic culture. Again, our desire is to see everyone prophesy God's heart, not just a preacher, not just the prophets, not just those who are in leadership, to prophesy God, God's word, God's desire for you and I to prophesy his word. Amen. What is prophecy? For me, what it means for me to prophesy, it means just to speak life. That's how simple it is. Some of us make it difficult, but God's words, his word says in Job 22, 28, I believe I quoted it here before, you decide, okay? This is from Amplified Bible. It says, you decide, in other words, you make a decision and you degree a thing. That's what prophecy is. In other words, don't let your crisis, don't let your problem, don't let your sickness do the talk. You do the talk. Amen? Make a decision and decree. Okay? And then it says, and the light of God's favor. Everyone here tonight say favor. favor. Do you want God's favor on your situation? Then prophesy. Amen? Do you want God's favor on your finances, your marriage, your relationship, your ministry? Then prophesy. Amen? It says, and then the light of God's favor will shine upon your ways. In other words, God is waiting for you and I to speak life. If you don't know how, what to prophesy or what to say, then just quote God's word. Amen. Just speak his word. It says, and then the light of God's favor will shine upon your ways. Amen. Uh, last year, John and I, we were ministering in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and I got a call from a good friend of ours. Her name is Melisol, her and her husband. They have three little boys. They live in Tucson, Arizona. She called me and she said, Meliana, can you and John come over to our house? I saw you guys here in the area. I want you guys to come and see our house. We just bought a new house. I want you guys to come see our house. I'll prepare lunch and you guys eat and you guys go. I said, oh, great. John and I hopped in a car. We drove over there. We pull up. Beautiful subdivision. They have a beautiful two-story home. Went over there, see their house. It was a lovely home. In the back, they have a beautiful gated pool in the back. And it's just a gorgeous home. So right after we saw their home and we had lunch, Great time fellowshipping, and then we left. That was back in December. This past April, John and I, we were ministering in Dallas, Texas. On our way to church Wednesday night, I got a text on my phone, and I look at it. It was a text from Melisol, and this is what the text said. It says, Meliana, please, can you and John pray for me? I'm here in Mexico. I've been here for weeks. I flew here. I came here for an interview with the immigration to be able to get a legal status to live in the U.S. legally. But when I came here for an interview with the immigration, they denied me. And she said, and it had been so, so hard on me. Please, can you guys pray for me? And I tell you what, I was so upset. 
I was so mad. I felt so bad for my friend. I was so upset, so I didn't text her back. I call her back. So I tap call on my phone and call her back. Phone kept ringing, ringing. I can tell it's an international call by the way it sounds, the way the, ring, the ringing is. And I finally, toward the end, she picked up the phone. And I said, Melisol, what's going on? Why are you stuck there? She told me the same thing that I, she said on the text. And she started crying on the phone. And I can imagine, you know, and I said, why they denied you? She said, they wanted more document. And I said, did you give them the document they asked? And she said, yes, I give them all the document they asked. And I said, did you follow up? Did you call them and see if they got all the document? And she said, yes, I called them so many times. They just gave me all the runaround. And finally, I got in touch again with somebody today, the gentleman. And he said, yes, we got all your document, but you just have to wait. Sound like the immigration, right? And some of you <clears throat> know how the immigration works. So that's what she said. And I felt so bad. <laughs> I felt so bad. And as I get re getting ready to hang up the phone, the Lord reminded me the story about Mary when her and Jesus was at the wedding. And he said, Meliana, did you just call Melisol just to find out all her, why she's stuck in Mexico? Did you just call her to be nosy, find out all her <laughs> problems and you can tell your friends you're stuck in Mexico. Or are you going to do something about it? Or are you going to do something like Mary? And he reminded me the story about Mary. Because I believe she was a little nosy. Guess who found out that the wedding ran out of wine? It was Mary, right? <laughs> it was Mary. Because here they were, it was not their wedding. But she found out about they ran, they ran out of wine and she came to Jesus. But I love it. And he said, are you just going to find out about the crisis? Or are you going to do something about it like Mary? Because Mary brought the crisis, brought the problem to Jesus. And I believe there is a reason why you and I find out about crisis or problems because Jesus wants you and I to do something about it. Instead of just calling and find out all the being nosy about the people's problem, find out about why she left the church or why she left her husband. Listen, there is a reason why you and I know about what people are going through. Some people come up to me and said, Meliana, how are you doing? I look at her and I said, sister, I want to unload and tell you everything I'm going through. But I can see you just going to go and gossip about it. You're not going to do something about it. I want to tell you what I'm going through if you're going to do something about it. If you're going to bring it to Jesus instead of just wanting to know all the information. So the Holy Spirit reminded me that about Mary. How Mary brought the problem to Jesus and said, Jesus, this wedding that we're in, they ran out of wine. 
They ran out of wine, Jesus. Some of you knew the story. Jesus looked at her. Mary, what are you doing? Why you got me involved with this? This is not our wedding. Basically what he said, Mary, it's not my time yet. But what I love about Mary, because she understood, you're right. It's not your time because you're my son. It's not your time, but you're also God. That means your time is now. That means your time is any time. I will bring any crisis to you, and that means now is your time. And I love how she did it, how she handled it. She turned to the servant and she prophesied. She turned to the servant and she said, just do whatever he said. She prophesied. And God reminded me again, the scripture that I just quoted to you. Meliana, you decide. What are you going to do with the crisis that you just found out? Are you going to just drop it? Or are, you just, or are you going to make a decision and degree a thing? When God reminded me that, then I said, Melisol, listen, you and I, we can't afford, she was crying on the phone. You can't afford to just cry on the phone. I want you to come in agreement with me right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to degree over your situation and let God do the rest. Is that okay? She's still crying. She said, yes, Meliana. So I start praying. I said, God, I pray, oh God, that you pull up Melisol paperwork from the bottom. I pray, oh God, you put it on the top. I pray, oh God, not only put it on the top. I pray, oh God, put it on the in front of the right person. I pray, oh God, let it be done today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. Lord, I pray, oh God, let it be done today. Melisol have three little boys in Tucson, Arizona. They need their mother. I pray, oh God, please hear our prayer. Let it be done today in Jesus' name. Amen. As soon as I said amen, I opened up my eyes. We were pulling in right in front of the church. And I said, Melisol, that's all we can do. We have no authority over the immigration. We can't tell the immigration what to do. But we sure can bombard heaven who have the authority over heaven and earth. Amen. Praise God. And she said, I got to go. We just arrived at church. We have a service tonight. I got to go. And she said, thank you so much, Meliana. Hung up the phone. That was it. We went to church. Had a powerful time that night. Great service. And um, right after the service, we were following um, the pastor on our way to the restaurant to have dinner that night. And on our way to the restaurant, my watch tapped me. That means I have a text. And I look at it. It was a text from Melisol. And I said, uh-oh. So because I wanted to look, to read the text uh, uh, clearly, so I dig my phone out so I can be able to read the text clearly. So I pick up my phone and I open up the text. 
And this is what the text said. It was a text from Melisol. And it says, Meliana, I just got approved. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you God. Look at that. We were texting back and forth. I was jumping up and down in the car all the way to the restaurant, screaming, walk into the restaurant, you know, telling the pastor what happened. And I tell you what, I was so blessed how faithful God is. And I believe God looked down that night, look at my daughter. She's acting like Mary. She's demanding me to step in. And th basically, that's what Mary did. Because after Jesus told her it's not my time, she turned to the servant and said, just do whatever he said. That means he's going to do something. She prophesied, put God in a place. Listen, we can't just tell, tell God what to do, but God likes God likes when you and I come in agreement with his word instead of coming in agreement with our crisis and our problem. Because as Mary said, do whatever he said. That means Jesus, Bobby back in his mind, oh my goodness, look at that. Look, because he's God. Look at my daughter. He's, she is demanding. She just prophesied. I can't help. But I have to do something right now because she just prophesied. As I pray that afternoon, God, let it be done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. Let it be done today. I believe God looked down. Look at my two daughters. They came in agreement with my word. Not the immigration system that is broken. Did I say that? Yes, I did. <laughs> Listen, I'm so grateful for our immigration system. But the system that you and I need to come in agreement with, it's his word. So that's why I share that story. Because it's about time to prophesy his word. Come in agreement with his word. You do the talk, not your crisis, not your sickness, not your problem. You tell the storm where to go and let God step in and shine his favor on your situation. Amen. Praise God. Yes. Give Jesus a big hand clap. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Of course, she could have just stayed up there and started preaching. We might have had church. And I want to tell you right now, I, I, I was there with her as she was decreeing and prophesying, and I was in agreement with her. Uh, because a lot of times what happens is we put more power in systems than we do the word of the Lord. And, and that is why prophecy is more um, uh, such a lifeline. And that's why prophecy is so powerful because what it does, it allows me in the middle of the storm that I don't have to access the storm. I have to access the truth. Come on, because the truth is eternal. The storm is temporary. And I have to tell you, with that being said, uh, Meliana, um, 
didn't, wasn't able to share this, but, you know, there's a reason why God did that. They decreed, they prophesied, but Mary Saul um, has a um, uh, bridal sh a shop in downtown Tucson, and all her proceeds that she makes from her bridal shop, she uses the money to, to bring prostitutes off the street so they have a place to go. No wonder God come through. Oh, two days she came back. Two days later she was back. We're going to see her next month. I'm going to probably hear more stories. You know, we're going to come over to her house because they loved us to come to the house, prophesy over them. But I love the work she's doing as she's actually bringing prostitutes out of the street and giving them a place where they can get back into life and be healed. And no wonder God come through for her. Come on, come on, give God a shout of praise right now. You know, tonight, uh, it, I, I don't know what it is, but uh, 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 Pastor Renee and Lynn, but every time I come here, this, 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 the, the, the book of First Kings, just the Lord just begins to highlight it. I, I think because of where God's taking this church and how God is shaping us to be the kind of people that hear the voice of God. Because how many know that there are so many voices out there bidding for our attention? Bidding for our time, bidding for our, uh, our, our understanding. But I really have, have to tell you something that I, I want to, it's, it's very heart-wrenching. But, but because you're here, you're here to hear the voice of God. You know, um, a few last month, I, I, just because I, I minister a lot in Southern California, down in the Riverside area, uh, what they call the Imperial Valley. Um, last month, a, a young pastor took his life. This particular young pastor, as far as, as, far as ministry, he had a best-selling book. He, had, uh, he was an associate pastor of a large mega church of about 15,000. He was 30 years old. He had two beautiful children. As far as ministry is concerned, ladies and gentlemen, he's at the pinnacle of ministry. People are following, he has, he, and if, and right now with social media and, and Instagram and Facebook, you want as many followers as you can. And he has hundreds, uh, thousands of followers. And, I, and, and when, I, when, I, when, I, when I saw the story, I, I began to grieve because I'm thinking in my mind, what could have prevented that? What kind of voice is hounding you that you do not value life? That you have hundreds and thousands of people that look up to you, but obviously that isn't what makes you come alive. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a society, ladies and gentlemen, that determines sex, I mean, determines success by what is going on on the outside, not what's going on on the inside.
And I really believe that God has raised up this church right here in Caldwell, Idaho, because when there's, when there's healing on the inside, we're able to affect the culture on the outside. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings 19. We're going to break down a very familiar story. However, I am going to preach it much differently than you've ever heard before. I love the fact of that, that uh, the Bible talks about the successes of great men and women of God. But it also talks about their weakness and it talks about their humanity. And I also need to say this before I move forward. My, my, I have, I've written two books, actually three. My third one on leadership is actually uh, finished editing. It's being formatted, and it's, it should be out by the end of the year on leadership. Um, I appreciate the books on the prophetic. I appreciate the books on leadership. I per, per all the books that we can read. But let me just tell you, there's nothing like the Word of God. There's nothing like the Bible. If I want to grow in my knowledge to to my ability to hear the voice of God is sitting in Jesus' presence like Mary, allowing his word to jump out of the pages and burn my heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, I'm thankful for the success of my first book and the first printing sold out, so we had to do a second printing. I'm very, very thankful for that. But church, there's nothing like the Word of God. And I can, I can tell you something, because I want this body. I want this body, because I love this body, and I love this leadership. I want this body to fall in love with the Word of God. Because when you fall in love with the Word of God, you will never get off kilter. You will never get off course. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so, I love the fact that the Bible begins to talk about the successes of Elijah. The raising of the dead. The calling down fire. The praying for rain. Everybody say fire and rain. Anytime you see those two things, fires, judgment, rains, revival. This is exactly, I, this will be the only eschatology that I will talk about the rest of the weekend. That, that I believe that, that there, at, simultaneously the fire of God will fall and the rain will fall. Are you hearing me? The judgment of God for those that don't want God and the, and the rain of revival for those that want God. Come on, are you hearing me? I want God. That's why you're here on Friday night. But there's an incident that began to happen in 1 Kings 19 that I'm going to break down. And all of you know this. How many know that the biggest warfare is not necessarily the devil because he's defeated? The biggest warfare is words. It's the war with words. And how the power of those words can set our course. And how the power of somebody saying something to us can either empower us or destroy us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you have to understand, if we begin to access words from the wrong source, come on. We're not going to reach our full potential. 
Because we don't access it from the source, the right source, we then fall into deception. For instance, in this text, you all turn there, 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Many of you know this. It says this. We're not going to talk a lot about Jezebel tonight. It says that, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Now listen to what it says. Then Jezebel sent, sent a messenger. Everybody say messenger. See, anytime you hear that, that means, that means that Jezebel can't go to Elijah himself, herself rather. That means that she has to send somebody to tell Elijah what she's going to do, which means to tell me she's afraid. Come on. I want to tell you the powers of darkness are afraid of you. So how the powers of darkness try to intimidate you is they send a messenger. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a message that you get. Come on. A little, a little message comes in from behind. And basically what the message is, Meliana, the message that says, I'm going to kill you. Now, you got to understand, the message that comes from the power of darkness is not prophesying, it's prophesying. Oh, come on, church. And so what I got to understand is that I got to understand the source of where the message came from. Because if the message came from the wrong source, then I don't need to worry about it. And, I, and because I know the end of the story, ladies and gentlemen, we also know the end of the story for the church too. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I don't care what kind of crazy things is going around in the world and who's saying what, we are going to win. Guess what? Our victory has already been won. Are you hearing me? How, how many, because you know what? Why in the movie the good guy always wins? Because guess what? Good will always out win evil. It always is going to happen at the end of the day. But Elijah, but, but Elijah gets this, I'm going to kill you. And let me ask you a question. Is he dead yet? So that means she was prophet lying. But sometimes it's, easy to bring, uh, it's easier to believe a lie than it is in the truth. Because here's one mindset that I want to break right now. Over the years, I've, I've heard this. I've heard this in, when I'm in a green room with a, in a large church. I've heard this in small churches. I've heard this all over the country, all, actually all over the world. Brother Harkey, be careful. After a great victory, be ready for an attack. Can I tell you something right now? I don't receive that. I just, got, uh, I just got done ministering in Hawaii to between 160 to 200 pastors in the assemblies of God who resisted the prophetic. But guess what? They're all prophetic now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We were the, spe we're the only speaker. We, we, had, we, had, we, we were supposed to have six sessions, but on, 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 on Wednesday, we only had one session because God showed up and all those pastors were laid out all over the place. Are you encountering Jesus? Come on. Now, you know what I'm saying, church? And, 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 and so we, we have to understand this. 
Elijah, uh, Elijah has a choice whether I'm going to resist this word or receive it. Because what you receive into your spirit is going to determine the direction you go. And if you receive from the wrong source, your life will go into the wrong direction. Because it doesn't matter if you're a powerful prophet or not. We're still human. James said Elijah had like passions like us. Come on. But listen, you've got to see this. So he receives this word. He receives it. He doesn't resist it. He doesn't ignore it. Because there's just certain stuff you got to ignore. There's certain words you just got to ignore. Because if those words aren't empowering you, aren't healing you, aren't getting you, making you better, what are you doing paying attention to it? You, you cannot put any weight on it. I'm not putting weight on somebody that says, say, that doesn't even know God. It, 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 I, you know what I'm saying? I'm not putting weight on your words because your words have no authority. It's God's words that got authority. That, 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 is, that is why now I, I can understand facts. You know, I may go to the doctor and may say something, you got something wrong, something wrong with your liver or something like that. And, and obviously the medical says that. But you know what? That's the facts, but there is the truth. Come on. Right, you know, that, that by his stripes I am healed. That forget not his benefit. He heals all my diseases and heals all my sicknesses. And, and, and guess what? I'm not, getting, I'm not getting older. I'm getting younger. Because, because, because uh, Renee and Pastor Lynn, I will tell you this. How many know the Bible says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Say all flesh. Not just some flesh, all flesh. And this is what I love. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Whether you believe it or not, you're going to prophesy. And, and, and guess what? Then your young men will dream dreams. And this is what I like. Because how many people in this room are over 55? That means you can order it on the seniors menu at Denny's. <laughs> right? Well, here's the good news. For those of us that are over 55, the Bible says that and the old men and women will dream dreams. Well, why would God give you a dream if you're going to die? <laughs> oh, come on, you hear what I'm saying? Which means when there's an outpouring of the Spirit... God will infuse because it's usually, you know, when you, when you get married, when you go on to college, when you begin your life in ministry, you got these grand dreams when you're young. But God is saying, I am going to reverse the whole thing. I'm going to cause the old. I'm going to put a dream in the, in the old. Come on. And that dream is actually going to reverse the aging process. That is why we need a prophetic generation. Come on, because in America, people get old and then they retire. In Acts 2, 17, when you get old, you start dreaming. Oh, come on. Are you hearing me? You dream about the next generation. 
You dream about nations you can touch. You dream about, you dream about increase that's God got. You dream about ministries and schools to start. You dream about, you don't dream about, I just want to retire. <laughs> and you don't prophesy, I'm tired, you dream. <laughs> See, I, I knew I wasn't going to be tired. Even though I flew a red eye and flew out at 9 o'clock at night out of Honolulu and landed at 10 o'clock today in Boise, I'm not going to be tired because, because I'm infused with God's dreams. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I'm not tired. Honestly, I'm not. I come up here and the anointing hits me and I feel a lot better. But getting back to the narrative, Verse 3 is the key that I want to camp out for a second on. Because, but there's, there's two actually places in the text that I really, really wanna, want you to grab a hold of tonight. But I want you to see this in verse 3. It's, it's, it's very, very key. Because it's an, it, there's a couple of key words. It says, and when he saw that. Say this, and when he saw that. See, that's why young Young men and women, vision is so important. Vision is so important. For a young man to take his life, he didn't have a vision for his future. He saw something that he shouldn't have seen. He didn't see all that God had done. All he saw was his pain. All he, was, all he saw was his, his, his depression. All he saw was his weakness. He didn't see God's ability to heal him. Is it? So, so Elijah sees it. So he gets this mental picture. So what happens? So now when he gets the mental picture, guess what takes over? Negative self-talk. Right? The self-talk takes over. And when the self-talk takes over, it gets louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. That's why I like being in church. Because you got to understand, I am Pentecostal. I like being in church. And, and you know what happened the other day? I, I got really Pentecostal a few weeks ago. Because, because I was at a conference in uh, in, in um in Kentucky at the end of September. And during praise and worship, I rolled. I rolled up and down. Now, it's on Meliana's Facebook, but, but they, only clipped, they only clipped it a, uh, for a few seconds. But I was rolling up and down the altar. I am a, an official holy roller. <laughs> because I will tell you something. Uh, uh, when I got up, people's going crazy, and uh, because you know what, back in the day I used to roll joints, <laughs> but now I roll for God. So if you have a problem with that, I'm rolling for God now. That's the way we roll. So in this church, you have permission to roll, <laughs> because sometimes we, sometimes we're so confused. Come on, come on. Sometimes the enemy, enemy gets on. But you know what I was doing? I was rolling off all the lies. Oh, come on, church. Because like everybody else, we all get attacked. When he saw that, so now he actually sees Jezebel killing him. Tomorrow. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. He gets a picture in his mind. 
Negative self-talk is taking over. So now, okay, he's trying to, and then so he runs when nobody's chasing him. But you can't run away from yourself, bro. You can't run away from this negative self-talk. You need to have your mind renewed. Now we're talking about a prophet of the Lord here who calls fire down from heaven and calls rain. What does that tell me how much I need God? Oh, come on. What does that tell me about me? What does that tell me that that can happen to me at any moment? That's why I don't demonize people who go through stuff. I, I, that's why I don't demonize people who are depressed, who are in a place of vulnerability, because all of us can get in that position because it isn't the, anoint, it isn't the success that you have on the outside. It's the connection with God that you have on the inside that's going to keep you. When he saw that, he runs. He runs as far south as he can. But the amazing thing is this is the key word in that text. It says, this, the, in verse 3, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Now listen to this. This last phrase, and left his servant there. Say this with me, left his servant there. Let me just say this. There is a lie here in the Treasure Valley that needs to be torn down. Here is the lie. I don't need to go to the house of God in order to have church. That isn't even a biblical response. We are a family. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We are a spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters. Are you hearing? We are going to be spending eternity with each other. And because we are brothers and sisters, when our brother and sister goes through things, the last thing that person needs to be is in isolation. Because in isolation, I have nobody to hold me accountable. In isolation, nobody's prophesying over me. Nobody's laying hands on me. Nobody's praying for me. Nobody's speaking life to me. No, nobody, nobody is decreeing who I am. I don't have anybody to call when I'm stuck in Mexico. Come on, when I'm in isolation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because isolation it is the breeding ground of depression. Come on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why do we have uh, 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 why why do we have the largest uh, the largest uh, pharmaceutical companies make billions of dollars a year? Actually, my daughter-in-law told me six hundred billion dollars a year on just uh, uh, drugs for people's minds. That's because people get into isolation. Are you hearing me? But see, in a family, in an in a, in a atmosphere of a family, oh, come on, that's not who you are, bro. You're a prophet of God. Sis, you are not that. You're a great woman of God. What are you thinking like that? She can't kill you. She can't touch you. You're in the hands of God. You're a child of God. When you're in isolation, you don't have anybody telling you that. He left his servant there. But here's 
I said all that to say this. As he's running as far south as he can, because there's something that I need to tell you. When I was on the plane coming over here from Hawaii last night, I felt the Lord say, I want Valley Church to have longevity. Because longevity produces legacy. Legacy produces momentum. Momentum produces revival. You follow me? However, in this particular text, Elijah's running. But as he's running, anxiety, worry, fear, depression is actually wearing him down. Jezebel's not wearing him down. His wrong self-talk is wearing him down. Because the Jezebel doesn't have the power to wear him down. Jezebel only has power if I give her the power to wear me down. When people say, oh, the ministry is wearing me out. The people are wearing me out. You mean to tell me, bro, you gave people that much power to wear you out? You need to just roll with me for a little while. Come on. You need to hang out with Meliana. You can ask, 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 ask Paul. Poor Paul. We, we, we was all over Lithuania. Come on. All over. His wife's pregnant. Come on. And I, you know, but, but the, thing, the thing is, is we don't have time. We're, we're, we're in God's presence so much, we don't have time to be depressed. I don't have time. I don't have time to listen to Jesse. I'm too, I'm too, I'm too, I got to hear God. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to decree? I don't have time to sit there and just worry about what's going to happen because my life and my future is in the hand of God. You got to understand your kids that aren't saved are in the hand of God. Your family's in the hand of God. This church is in the hand of God. This valley is in the hand of God. But that running, that, that, that energy, that is, that the mental and emotional energy is wearing the prophet out. People, people talk about burnout. Burnout comes in isolation. And in that place of burnout, what does he do? He falls asleep. So how many know that a sleeping prophet isn't too valuable? A sleeping prophet isn't prophesying. But let me just say this. What I love about this story is this part. Here the man of God is in the wrong place. Here, he is bombarded by the negative self-talk who has actually literally worn him down. He doesn't access the anointing in him. He accesses his, his emotions and he's worn down. But the Bible says the angel of the Lord touched him. Church, I have to tell you, I'm so thankful, bro, that God didn't just touch me when I was in the right place. He touched me when I was in the wrong place. 
He touched me in a place where I, when I shouldn't have been there. Come on. Aren't you thankful tonight that when you was in the wrong place, he did never, he, because this is, we got to get a revelation of this. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. We need to re get a revelation of the word never. Come on. Say never. Because we, that, some people forgot the never part. They think that I've left you, and they don't understand. No, God, you're mad at me. God, this, God, this. You, I did this. Never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. Come on. When, I, when that is central in my thinking, I can have the worst day of my life, but you ain't leaving me. Come on. You're not leaving me, God. You're not leaving me to myself. You're not leaving me to my broken emotions. You're not leaving me in that state. Oh, come on. Never. My Bible says the angel of the Lord touched him. I believe that God is going to use you and use this church like he used that angel in Beersheba to awaken a prophet who was sleeping. That you're going to awaken the treasure valley that is sleeping. No, come on, church. When, when, when that angel touched the man of God, he arose. He came back to life. Now, when that angel, when Elijah arose, what did the angel tell the man of God to do? Eat. Everybody say eat. eat. Turn to your neighbor and say eat. I know you like to eat. <laughs> Verse 7. Now, why in the world would the angel be concerned about Elijah eating? Because Elijah was eating from the wrong source. Oh, come on. Are you hearing me? Because sometimes, you know, I don't get it, Christine. I just don't get it sometimes. Why people want to have church for an hour, the whole service, the worship, everything a 20-minute sermon, and go home and call that church. But then they'll go to the buffet after church and eat for three hours. I'd rather go to the buffet at church <laughs> and eat for th three hours. Because that food that's going to get inside of me is going to get me back on track. Oh, come on. I might start preaching up in here. Because we live in a culture who has reduced Sunday morning. That's where your diet is. I'm telling you, you can't, if you ate once a week, you can't live. And, 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 but so here's what happened. You can't live off the diet of your negative self-talk. You can't live off the words of Jezebel. You can't live off the di diagnosis of the doctor. 
You can't live on how your emotions feel because your emotions fluctuate based on what's happened on the outside of you. You can't live on that. Man shall not live upon bread, bread alone, but every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Because where did that bread come from? That bread did not come from Jezebel. It came from heaven. Oh, come on. In other words, let me just tell you, I give you permission, the Lord says, to eat from what's been dropped from heaven. That's why I'm not getting burnt out. I'm not quitting the ministry. I'm not going to have jet lag. The devil's got jet lag. Are you hearing me? My wife's not going to have jet lag. My wife got up the other day. I won't tell you how old she is. I'm 57, and she's three years older than I am. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what. She got up the, the other day. She, she says, I'm beautiful, I'm healthy, and my, my bones don't even hurt. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why? Because guess what? We have to make a choice where we go and eat. That's good. I choose where I eat. Pastor Lana asked me where we like to go. I, I'd like to go eat some Mexican food. Because in this part of the world, they have good Mexican food. They do not have Mexican food in Iowa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Eat. Why did he say eat? Listen to this. And the angel of the Lord came back to him a second time, touched him and said, arise and eat. Listen to this. Because the journey is too great for you. The journey that I have, says the Lord, for Valley Church is too great. And this great journey that I have, there is a requirement. That's why if you're on the worship team, you got to just show up and play your song and leave. You got to eat. You can't just do your ministry and just leave. You got to eat. Because that, that food is going to give you, it's going to sustain you to complete your journey. One translation says the journey is too long for you. You know what I'm saying? It's long. How many know, Dominique, the journey is long? You know why it's long? Because you know what? I've got all these words coming around me. Come on. People saying this. People doing that. People doing this. Sometimes people not meeting expectations. And this journey is long. It's long on my emotions. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And if I'm going to complete this long journey on the journey, I have to eat as much as I can. Else my calorie intake. Come on. That, 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 that's why we have Christians that are malnutrition. Come on, they're malnourished because they're not eating. And, and, and they, they'll come in on fire for two years and then backslide. 
Church, I don't want to. I don't want to be lit on fire for two years, get offended, and walk out and quit the worship team and tell Christine I don't want to play drums no more. I don't want to do that anymore. You know why that happens? It has nothing to do with what people are saying. It's the fact that you don't eat on your own. You aren't eating, and the more you eat, the more alive you'll become. Eat, man of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, eat. Got to see this. Got to see this. Because see, when God told Elijah, when the angel prophesied for Elijah to eat, man, don't you have a revelation of how great your journey is? And how great you are? And if you had a, a vision of how great you are, you'd want to do everything you could to fuel your greatness. You're too great to be depressed. You're too great to be unhappy. You're too great to be sick. You're too great to be tired. You're too great. Because you're too great you're too great to listen to Jezebel. You're too great to isolate yourself. You're too, too great to disconnect from people that are called to you. You're too great. That bread, ladies and gentlemen, was given to the prophet so the prophet would eat and go back and confront what he was afraid of. To have the power, to have the, the emotional stability and confidence. I can face this. I know what the doctor said. But I came to church on Friday night. I got a prophetic word. I know what kind of week I had. I, I, know, where, I, I know I'm late on my bills. But I know what God says. Because I can't eat on my... I can't eat from my inadequacy. Because the more I eat from my inadequacy, the more inadequate I'll think I am when God's trying to say, that's not where I, that's not the bread I want you to eat from. Eat. However, Elijah does eat. And when he eats, because he has a free will, he doesn't go back from what he ran away from. I want you to hear this. Where does he go? He goes in a cave. I'm so thankful that we made the connection in Denver. My, my poor wife, I was walking as fast as I could and she was running. She says, is there elevation here? I said, yes, sweetie. She goes, I'm breathing hard. Slow down. We finally made it to the gate as they were boarding, praise Jesus. And our luggage got here, praise Jesus. We just barely made it. But how many know that when something doesn't go right, it's easy to run in a cave. 
especially when you have had so much expectation. Because then the cave becomes a place of safety. Oh, come on. And see, what I believe God has called this church is to bring this valley out of a cave. To bring people out of a cave so they can experience the power and the presence of God in a way that they never have before. Because there's too many people in a cave. I realize the cave is, is a choice. But sometimes people falsely believe that they think that ca the cave is the only choice. But I was reading that. And I was thinking in my mind, why in the world did Elijah of all places run to a cave? Now, I'll, I'll just use this as an example. You know, the, in this culture, in America, there are fads, or what we call fashions. They come and they go. And I'll just use this. And for instance, you know, there's a lot of people. I did the diet. They're on a diet craze because they want to get fit, and that's a great thing. But we've, I'll, I'll use this examples. People come up to me and say, Brother Harkey, you know what? I did the keto diet and I lost 50 pounds. But I will tell you this. Sometimes what we do is we have a tendency to falsely believe that work for them will work for us. That sometimes we finally believe that we find out that something worked, it may have worked for the masses. It may have worked for the church down the street, but it may not work for a valley. See, because the, here's the interesting thing. I, someone come to me and say, Brother Harkey, I did the keto diet and I lost 50 pounds. Well, I did the keto diet and I gained 50 pounds because I like steak. Because what we have is a culture of imitators. And if I imitate you, then I don't have to hear the voice of God. I can just copy what you did and get the same results. Oh, come on, church. Are you hearing me? Listen, I appreciate what God is doing around the country. I appreciate different ministries that we can glean from. But there's something I need to tell you by the word of the Lord. God wants to make you initiators, not imitators. Are you hearing what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen? We've got to initiate a move of God. I love what Meliana said. What happened? Uh, Mary initiated a move of God. She initiated a miracle. Come on, Jesus said, it was not my time yet. She didn't imitate the, 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 the atmosphere around her that said, we don't have any wine at this wedding. And sometimes what we do is we have a tendency to imitate the atmosphere that is around us. And so that now everybody's depressed. Come on, everybody's sad. Everybody's discouraged. Every, no, 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 I am an initiator.
You are initiators, not imitators. Now hear this. Because just because it worked for you doesn't mean it's going to work for me. So, for instance, we could look at it, you know, because, I mean, all of us want to grow in our ministry and our influence. That's a great thing. But have a tendency as we, we gravitate toward things because, oh, man, I want what they got and I want to be like them instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? Because I've made you unique. I've made you an individual. You have gifts and things. But let me just say why I believe. Let me tell you why I believe Elijah ran to a cave. Because if you understand the story of his life, you go to a chapter before, chapter 18, and the prophet is walking through the wilderness. He meets a man by the name of Obadiah. And this is what Obadiah tells him. Man of God. I have hid 150 of the Lord's prophets in a cave. So he files that in the back of his mind and presumes that the cave is the place of safety. There is no place of safety outside the will of God. What is a prophet doing in a cave and there's too many prophets in a cave because you ain't prophesying to anybody in a cave you're not serving in a cave you're not you're not giving in a cave you're not benefiting anybody in your cave and then what you want to do because in your cave you because we have a culture that says you're okay in your cave that gives you permission to be a victim dominic come on because i'm a victim now I'm a victim of society, not an overcomer anymore. Oh, come on. And so what we do is, is we prophesy to ourselves because that negative self-talk is prophecy too. Come on. Church, I am not a victim. I am not a victim and neither are you. You are a conqueror. Now, I am not showing, I'm not being unempathetic or unsympathetic for people's pain. I'm not, I want to make that clear. Many people in here, including me, have gone through abuse, gone through things that were, were awful. But guess what? The blood of Jesus has set me free. I've been redeemed. I, I, I'm a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not where I was. I'm not back there in that cave of deception. Now hear me. Because when I'm a victim, then the gift that it's inside of me never gets developed. That's why you need to go to class. That's why you need to go to the school of ministry. Because, because when you go to school of ministry, you get out of being a victim into a place where you're now a conqueror. And you become a disciple. See, because real discipleship is not victimhood. Because being a disciple, that word means a learner. Now, ladies and gentlemen, he's in a cave now. He's not, there's no widows that he can bring oil 
and flower. There's no dead sons that he can raise from the dead. There's no rain or revival that can fall. The powers of darkness can't be destroyed by the fire of God because the man of God is in a cave. And you have to think about that. We have to think about that. We have to put ourselves in the same place of Elijah and that we're, God, I can't afford to be in the cave because there's people that I could be ministering to that won't be touched by your love and by your fire because I'm, well, are you hearing me? But again, grace comes in the cave. Aren't you thankful that grace came in our cave? Aren't you thankful that grace came in our cave? Because I, I will tell you something. But sometimes grace comes in not the package we think it's going to come. When, 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 when Prophet Paul and a, the team of us went to Lithuania on July 1st through July 10th. Um, my wife and I have a burden for the nation. And, and Richard, there, there, many times during this past few years, you, pro you prophesied over me a few years ago, I've got it on my phone about Lithuania, about giving me the nation. I put that in. But this past July, my wife and I took a step of faith we actually purchased 10 plane tickets for myself and nine others to Lithuania. We hotel, car, food, honorariums for the other couples. The trip cost me $32,000. Now, for many of you in this room, that's not a lot of money because you're millionaires. That's just pocket change. But $32,000 to John and Meliana is a lot. And we had an amazing time in Lithuania. Amazing. However, in the middle of that amazing time, during, right in the middle of the thing, the weight of having to get back the $32,000 started to weigh on me. I hadn't been sleeping because of the time difference. I, I think we preached 30 times in 10 days or something like that. And I can tell you this. I was beginning to, because and all of a sudden, the negative self-talk started getting louder and louder. And I was actually gravitating toward the cave. The man of God. Man of faith. People would talk to me. I would listen to what they had to say. I would, I, would, I would tell them the word of the Lord. But in the back of my mind, I'm in a cave. Because I am thinking, what in the world have you done? Because you know how the devil talks to you. Oh, you overextended yourself. You could have just come by yourself. Because, you know, I'm going to go to Eastern Europe. I could have gone by myself. They, basically, the honorarium would have just covered the, the flights. But I am being weighed down by this. And it is affecting me. And you know what? It's affecting my head. 
Because we got to understand, there's people that walk in this church on Sunday morning, they've been in a cave, man. They have been in a cave. There's people in a cave. And they need to have somebody to pull them out. Somebody say, you don't belong there. Come on. Because you know what God, you know what God did to the prophet? He's in a cave. What did God say? God said, hey, bro, what are you doing here? Now, let me just tell you. If God says, what, you, what are you doing here? Get out of there. That means you don't belong there. What are you doing here? This is not where you're supposed to be. Now, sometimes it's not geographical. It's emotional and mental. So I'm in a cave, Paul, in Lithuania. Because the weight of $32,000 is weighing on me. And, 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 because all kinds of things. When am I going to get the money back? I'm going to go back and, and you know, I haven't, because Meliana is, she, 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 I know, you, you got, I'm so thankful that you, sometimes it's good to be, because that's why you need to have two around you. Yeah. I'm so thankful that you better make sure that your partner's in a cave, it is not in a cave with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's when he's really in trouble, man. You know, Meliana is over at Joel Osteen's church at, uh, attending a Joyce Meyer conference. And, you know, this one particular afternoon, my wife, uh, not my wife, but my daughter and my son-in-law, Prophet Dave and Leilani, and our driver, were headed. We had had a meeting in the morning, and they were going to come back at night. We, we drove two hours to a maximum security women's prison to prophesy over women that was gonna, were sentenced to 30, 40, 50 years or to life in prison. And then the prophets in the cave. I'm going to go minister to people. Because sometimes what you need in your cave isn't 32,000. What you need is the truth. Sometimes what you need isn't just the economic breakthrough. What you need is to have that lie pulled out of your heart. Because you could get $32,000 and still believe a lie. Are you, 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 are you, you know what I'm saying, church? Because sometimes what we think the answer is isn't really the answer. Because what God is wanting to do is God's wanting to pull the lie out of us. Not just hand us $32,000 and say, well, I did a breakthrough. No, he wants to pull the lie out of us before he blesses us. Because if I bless you while you're still believing the lie, you, don't, you won't be thankful for the blessing. So you got to see this. So my daughter's talking to me, my son-in-law, we're, we're in a deep conversation, but in the back of my mind, I'm in, in, a, I'm in a cave. Because i got to go back and I go, honey, how are we going to make it? We've overextended. I thought I missed God. Then all of a sudden, Meliana sends me a text. She didn't know that I was in a cave. But what she sends me isn't a, isn't a picture of a deposit slip for 32000 
What she sends to me is more important than the deposit slip for 32000 She sends me a word. Oh, come on. Oh, come on, church. I sent forth my word and I healed them. Oh, are you hearing me? I sent my word to heal them. And the word was out of Matthew chapter 25, I believe 35 or 36, where it says, when you go to, because we were on our way to the prison. She knew that. When, we on, when you go to the prison, you have come to visit me. And that word, that's the NIV, and that word, visit me, jumped out at me, Christine. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what am I doing? Because I'm not going to a prison. I'm not going to Lithuania. I'm not going to a minister's conference. I'm not going to Caldwell, Idaho. I'm not going to just all these places I'm going. I'm going to visit Jesus. Oh, come on, church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? How much would you pay to visit Jesus? Because sometimes what we think is we're coming to do ministry. Uh -huh. We're coming to prophesy. We're coming to lay hands on the sick. When actually we're coming to visit Jesus. Church, how much would you pay? Nothing. I'd pay $3.2 I'd pay everything I have. I know I'm going to visit Jesus. That truth set me free and pulled me out of the cave. That's why you have to be surround yourself with the truth. Surround yourself with truth. God came and said, what are you doing here? <laughs> you're not, in your cave, you're not surrounded by truth. You're surrounded by lies, bro. You're rehearsing what Jezebel said. You're rehearsing your own weakness, your frailty, your inadequacy. That's what you're rehearsing. And ladies and gentlemen, I just to tell you, when, when, you know, when the Lord said that, because, you know, I'm going to go back to Lithuania, and I'm, I'm, I don't care how much I spend, because I'm going to go visit Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And yet, when I, then I flew back here, and the first church that we went, we were there for Sunday through Wednesday. They didn't know. God took care and more of all the $32,000 and more. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And here I had spent too long in a cave. And church, we have a culture in a cave. Come on. We got to get this valley out of the cave. We got to get the people of God out of the cave. We got to get the unsaved out of the cave. Are you hearing me? We got to get our young people out of a cave. We got to get a generation out of a cave. Because they believe a lie in the cave. Now, what are you doing here? Well, Elijah then responds this way to the Lord. He says, I have been zealous for the Lord. Do I have any school teachers? 
Another school teacher. Who's a school teacher? Any school teachers? Raise your hand if you're a school teacher. Got one. That word have been is past tense. The Lord says, I don't want past tense Christianity. I want present tense Christianity. Which means, which means this word. I was zealous when the fire was falling. When I was raising the dead. I was, I was, I was zealous when the rain fell. I was zealous when I watched flour and oil multiply. But now that I'm in my cave, I've lost my zeal. I'm going to be very, very transparent with you. I would hate to have to call Pastor Lynn and say, Pastor Lynn, I can't come back to Caldwell anymore. I've lost my zeal. The crisis in my life, the pain that I'm going through, the, the, the trauma, all the stuff that's happened in my life has actually killed my zeal. I wouldn't want to line up my children and my five beautiful grandchildren and say, Grandpa used to travel, used to preach, used to do things, used to prophesy, but he lost his zeal. Because then when I say that, then I tell them that my zeal was not authentic. Because then my zeal was only based on what was happening outside of me, not what was happening inside of me. Mm. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Because if we base, see, here's what we have. If we base our zeal on our circumstances, because our circumstances change. They are temporary. They are not permanent. But if we base our zeal on our circumstances, what, what kind of witness am I, Meliana? I'm saying that I've only have zeal. I'm only have zeal when the circumstances are right, and when circumstances are right, I don't have zeal. Well, I want to tell you right now, I am not going to let anybody steal my zeal. Whether I've traveled all night from Hawaii to Caldwell, I'm still going to have zeal. Whether, whether I'm weighed down by $32,000 bill that I don't know how I'm going to pay, I'm still going to have zeal. Whether the doctor says this or somebody says this, you're not stealing my zeal, sis. Because my zeal didn't come from you. It came from God. And because it came from God, you can't steal my zeal. <laughs> I have been zealous. My gosh. And of course, there's much that he says, they say, but, but let me just say this to you. God gets the message. Oh, okay, you want to stay in your cave. Okay, you can stay there. You can stay there if that's where you want to be. But this lover of my soul, this pursuer of my heart, won't let me stay in the cave. He won't let me. He, he comes the second time. He comes the second time, doesn't he? And when he comes a second time, 
I will tell you, you get to hear this. The conversation is almost the same, but there's a little bit different twist. Because on the second time, you know what Elijah does? He says, you know, God says, what are you doing here? But what Elijah does is Elijah actually, everybody can see me. Elijah actually comes to the entrance of the cave. You know when he comes to the entrance, he's still in. He's still in the cave, even though he's come to the entrance of it. He's still in the cave. What are you doing here? And even at that second invitation, he does not come out. He does not run out. Into the arms of grace and love and mercy, he still stays in his cave. Because like I said earlier, we have a culture that will actually reinforce your victimhood. They will. Because right now, I don't even have to come to church to hear somebody preach. I can turn my iPad on and I can watch Joel Osteen and when the offering comes, I can click you off. Then if I don't like what you say, I can click you off to another preacher and find me a preacher that I want to hear. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And you know right now, I don't even have to go to the store. Amazon Prime will deliver my groceries right to my door. I don't have to interact with you. I don't have to interact with anybody. If I need tires, if I need anything, I need lettuce. It can come to my door. And, that's, and guess what? Now, I don't even have to go to McDonald's, get a Big Mac. I got an app on my phone called Uber Eats. And Uber Eats will deliver my Big Mac right to my door, man. And I can stay in my cave. But let me tell you something. Hear me. If you've heard anything, hear this. When God came the second time and Elijah did not come out. Do you want to stay there? That's your choice. What did he add that he didn't say the first time? He said this, go and anoint Elisha as your replacement. Say replacement. See, nobody's supposed to replace you because you're irreplaceable. Nobody is to replace this ministry. Because ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, we are not called to be replaced. We are called to reproduce. You follow me? And when I'm not reproducing, then I become replaceable. You follow me? And that is why this is a season for Valley. That we are going to reproduce. We are going to reproduce because we're not going to be replaced. We're going to be reproduced. We're going to produce people that hear the voice of God.
We're going to be people that have a heart and a passion for the things of God. We're going to reproduce minister. We're going to re, re, uh, reproduce ministry. We are going to reproduce. Why would we do that? Because I don't want to be replaced. Because I, would, I, I thought this on the plane I was thinking as I was thinking about this message. I was thinking, what if he came out? What kind of increase would Israel have experienced? The, 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 the demonic control of Jezebel would have been so weakened and destroyed had he come out of his cave. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in a cave tonight, come out. If you're in a cave tonight, come out. I give you permission, says the Lord, to come out. Say, come out. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how many want to bring a generation out of a cave? How many want to eat? Come on. How many want to do that right now? Come on and give God a shout of praise all over. God, we love you. We adore you.